Welcome to DASIC's Ion Collections podcast. We'll be sharing collective intelligence about the collections industry and overcoming various business challenges from industry thought leaders spanning multiple verticals. With over 20 years of lending, financial technology, and startup experience, I'm your co-host, Randy Spradlin, Chief Revenue Officer at DASIC. With over 15 years as a data science and strategy leader for the Big Four and an adjunct professor and advisor to the data science program for the UT Dallas, SMU, and Springboard.com, please welcome our co-host, Abhishek Goel, CEO and Chief Data Scientist at DASIC. DASIC AI is revolutionizing collections using artificial intelligence and machine learning by delivering AI-driven collection strategies that increase agent productivity by more than 30% and improves your dollars collected and consumer experience. For more information on DASIC, please visit www.dasic.com. Hello, you're listening to the DASIC Ion Collections podcast. I'm your host, Randy Spradlin, Chief Revenue Officer at DASIC. Our guest today is Jeremiah Wheeler, Executive Vice President and General Manager at DRN Data. So, Jeremiah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Randy. I'm glad to be here. So, Jeremiah, how are things going over in your world? Well, you know, it, uh, with, with COVID hitting us in March, uh, we had a relative downturn in repossession volumes and other volumes of data requests coming in. Uh, we, we were down, I would say, about 60% over the past three months. But in May, uh, middle of May, we've had a few lenders coming back online, and that's kind of caused an uptick uh, in the repossessions. We also had a... Uh, a pay for scan program where we had some agents that we were able to pay to keep scanning, keep building the historical data and everything. So I would say right now we're back at about 45% of uh, normalized capacity. And what I'm hearing from other lenders out there is that we're probably going to see the majority of the volume coming back over and within the next 30 days. So it's going to kind of hit or miss over the next week. And then this week I heard a few lenders are starting to let go of some orders. And so I think, I think we'll be back to normal if we can keep this second wave of uh, positive cases down, I think, and, and keep the public out of panic mode. Uh, I think we can get back to normal by end of July uh, is what we're really hoping for, because I know there's a lot of, agencies and businesses and and just people out there that that need it and uh looking forward to getting back to normal yeah i've uh, spoken with several lenders myself and uh you know it seems like all of them are expecting the uptick uh by august uh, that's what seems to be the general consensus there so so um so tell us about yourself uh jeremiah what do you like to do when you're not working well, to be honest, uh, I uh, I tend to be chasing kids around or carrying kids here and there when I'm when I'm not working or spending time on the boat um, on the lake and hanging out uh, or out back at the pool. But uh, I don't get you know I don't get around and do a whole heck of a lot. I mean, my kids they keep us pretty busy. I mean, my oldest daughter's a uh, she just graduated this year and she was a cheerleader and my youngest daughter is also a cheerleader and she's going in ninth grade. And, uh, she also does, uh, English riding horse, you know, horse lessons. And so we, we basically are just running kids around 24 seven seems like, and, uh, picking kids up from here and there. So that's about it really. I mean, 100% family. You do any, uh, you fishing when you're out on the boat on the lake or is it just more just leisure boating? No, just leisure boating. I mean, I'd like to be fishing when I can, um, but 
I don't do enough of it. I don't do enough fishing or golfing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us do. <laughs> I, I do plenty of work though. That's for sure. So, um, you know, initially you kind of alluded to some of the challenges that uh, some, you know, lenders and yourself had been kind of facing, you know, through this whole COVID disaster. Um, what do you perceive to be some of the biggest challenges that are facing our industry right now? Uh, I, honestly, I think there's, uh, there's two. There's two that I'm paying very close attention to. Obviously, a lot of people are paying close attention to one of these more so than others, but I think there's a legislative issue uh, with knee-jerk legislation and, and reactions from different legislators, whether it be at the local municipal level or at the state or even the federal level. Um, I think the federal level, we've kind of gotten under control with these few stimulus packages that went out. Uh, the Senate has kept the House in control with regards to frivolous legislation that would, you know, put our industry in, in really in the trash can uh, overnight. And so uh, now focusing on the state legislative issues, we had California with that Assembly Bill 2501, which luckily did not pass. Uh, that would have put our uh, whole entire industry on the recovery, the collections and, and others, even the lending side, it would have put everything in the tank. Uh, and so I think the legislative issues are major in the sense that, you know, we have to get very involved and stay involved. I mean, we, I spend probably five hours a week on different lobby calls and different calls about lobbying and different calls about talking to uh, lenders, government affairs teams, their legal teams, and just going through all of these uh, motions to try to educate legislators on understanding that passing bills that prohibit collections and recovery in the long term negatively affects and harms the consumers. And, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, these legislators would run around and just, you know, freely pass these laws that give people, you know, two years to not pay their bills not thinking about the fact that uh, there's no stipulations or, or, or anything in that law that they're trying to pass that states that the lender can't report it negatively upon that person's credit. Uh, they don't think about the assets depreciating in value. They don't think about the deficiency balances that are gonna be carried over and carried by that consumer for years to come that they'll never get out of the way of. Uh, and they also don't think of the fact that they're, they're going to be killing jobs in their states by lenders having to increase the cost and access to credit and uh, pulling out of those states in some cases because they can't afford to lend in a state that they can't collect. I mean, collections is a natural part of the evolution of lending. So um, anyway, I you know, that's one piece is legislation. The, the second piece is just lenders trying to prepare the best that they can for this you know, countrywide light switch, you know, they turned the light switch off as soon as COVID hit, which was the right thing to do. They were very proactive and self-regulated in that matter. I think that they did a really good job of, uh, of self-regulating without the legislators getting involved or regulators getting involved. And uh, the problem though that we're seeing right now is lenders are increasing their loss reserves, some by upwards of 200%. Uh, and even though they're preparing on paper for that, 
it does not account for just the massive amounts of volume that's going to be coming down the pipe because you're going to run into a major supply and demand problem. And, you know, there's going to be so many accounts that are going to need to be collected and recovered on and no vendors, not enough vendors out there to do it. Right. Um, and so those are really my two big main problems, pain points, concerns uh, that, that we're kind of watching and we're trying our best to help, help with. So are there any good examples of uh, maybe uh, people or companies, you know, maybe companies that are excelling and overcoming those challenges, but maybe people that are kind of leading the lobby in front or, or organizations that are leading the lobby in front to kind of work through some of that legislation? Yeah, I think there are a, a few entities out there and organizations. I mean, one is APSA, uh, the American Financial Services Association. They, they've done a phenomenal job of staying at the forefront and being well-connected uh, with regards to whether you're in D.C. or you're at their state level in California and Sacramento. They're, they're very well-connected. And uh, another organization that we work closely with and we uh, that have been well connected as well as is the RMA, the Receivables Management Association International. Uh, there's some state associations related to repossessions that you know uh, we, that we'd like to applaud and thank for a lot of their involvement and in pushing really hard. And that's CalR, the California Association, uh, Texas, uh, their association. It's uh, I think it's Texas Association of Repossessors, and then. Um, the American Recovery Association, they've done a really good job of being involved and trying to, you know, stay ahead of everything. And they actually have all, all those repo associations have gathered together and formed a, a, a pack, if you will, that is lob raising money to hire lobbyists for the repossession industry specifically and for all the trade associations and state associations as one group to put out one consistent voice. Uh, and it's uh, repoalliance.com. And so I think they're doing a really, really good job of, of pushing the ball down the road and hopefully we'll get a good voice in Washington and other areas that the repo industry has needed for a really, really long time. Um, unfortunately, in most situations in every corner of the country, when it comes to legislation that's prohibiting or preventing or even uh, you know, putting the foot on repossessions, it's repos, repos are never, we're never a sympathetic victim in this whole process, right? Um, and so, it, you know, I'm glad that, that we're able to get the word out there, raise the money and, and hire some lobbyists specifically for the repo industry. So um, you've kind of already touched on how collections are, are being impacted in the industry and, and some of the challenges you see there. Are you noticing any types of emerging technologies that are having any type of positive impact on collections overall? Yes. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a few out there actually, um, you know, not to toot our own horn at DRN, but we have, a, we've been working on this product for about three or four years and and we've started testing it and we've been testing it with some unsecured debt and we're looking at, you know, finding those credit card debtors and student loan debtors that have skipped out. And uh, we've had some really, really high hit rates and high results um, so far. Um, and so I would definitely consider that an emerging technology, uh, but there are others out there that are really paving the way for 
new ways to think and do business. I mean, you guys are one at DASEC and, and then there's others out there um, at uh, Mr. Perry and them over there at, um, my mind just went blank on this. Um, Michael, uh, anyway, I, I'll come back to that. I, I can't remember the, my mind literally just went totally blank on that company <laughs> name. Um, but there's, I mean, we, we're dealing with a lot of different companies and a lot of different data sets and a lot of different people. And so it's kind of, you have to put people in a small lane and let them work on small individualized projects before you can kind of let everybody go out into the field and pick out, you know, 10 different companies with 20 different data sets and figure out what's really going to work for you. I mean, MasterQ is another one that I was not thinking of right there that that's done a really good job of uh, helping to bring together all of these different data sets and put them all into one bucket and make them actionable. Uh, you know, similar to what somewhat similar to what we're doing in the sense that when we're focusing on hyper focusing on the unsecured debt market. I mean, we grew up in the auto finance space. We we can do that really, really well. We do a good job of it. But when it, when you focus on all of these different data sets out there and all the different debt classes, people are harder and harder to find without assets or collateral attached, right? Um, so, I mean, you know, what are you guys seeing that that you're kind of honing in on as being the next best thing or the next biggest ticket item? Well, you know, primarily we focused on early and late stage delinquencies. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at right now is what we like to look at is like pre-delinquency. And it's really being able to identify with a high likelihood of who's most likely going to be delinquent or going to go delinquent. And then working out different strategies that you can deploy to help prevent that customer from going delinquent to begin with. Um, you know, and on the late stage stuff, you know, we're really working through different loss and risk mitigation strategies that are driven by the AI to be able to identify, you know, for example, if you've got a customer that's 31 days past you, you know, we're able to identify the, that whether this customer is going to pay you or not. And so if you think of in terms of, you know, that customer may only communicate with you a certain number of times between day 31 past you and the day you're putting that car out for repossession and, and even then a deficiency balance if you have to go after them for that. And so being able to really identify those customers up front uh, earlier in the process and, and maybe identifying which strategy would be best to deploy, whether it be working out some type of settlement agreement or putting it out for repossession at day 35 versus day 45 or day 50. Um, and then in the cases of those where you have a deficiency balance, you know, some of these uh, companies wait until, you know, they really approach that delinquency based on days past due. So in other words, you know, we charge this debt off, um, we're going to work them for, for 90 days, and then we'll try to offer them some type of settlement on it. And so if you can understand which of those consumers would probably accept a settlement earlier in the process, and you can, you know, collect a lot more of that money a lot sooner in the process, rather than, you know, day 90, you say, all right, let's offer them uh, some type of settlement strategy now and then the consumer is no longer communicating with you so you don't even get the chance to to offer it so we're looking at you know what we can do on the later stage stuff as well as um on the the pre-delinquency uh but we've also recently been expanding into uh, other verticals healthcare um is one of those and in services industries like for example um telecom utilities mm -hmm. and things of that nature so that's that's some of the projects that, that we've been working on in-house right now that's pretty awesome. I mean, I think those early indicators of 
delinquency in collections and or skip is is really really insightful uh, we found ourselves working with a number of different lenders through this covid situation on migration studies um, seeing where their customers are moving to how many of their customers have moved away from addresses where they think their customers are because you know there's certain states with restrictions right now you can't assign recoveries or you can't collect or you can't call you can't do these things right and if you know that the customer no longer lives there and they live in an unrestricted state then what you know what's to really prevent you from calling if they've been there for four plus months and they're literally living there now and you can even ping a phone number right there so it, it there's a lot of different things that lenders and agencies are looking at now differently uh, with this whole uh, current situation that we're in. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few months. Yeah, we, I agree as well. And uh, I especially think the next uh, 60 to 90 days will probably be the most telling, um, depending upon, you know, a lot of outside factors. Uh, like, for example, is this, um, is COVID going to, you know, go ahead and come back with, with stronger presence than it was initially the first time? Early signs are it looks like it is, but um, maybe the lockdowns aren't as severe and as pointed as they were before. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into play into what's going to happen over the next 60 or 90 days. But I, I think that's probably going to be more telling than the last 90 days have been. For us all. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out to normal, getting back to the conferences and seeing interacting with all the people we're used to seeing and those ideas. I, I just think that those places are incubators for, for new information, new ideas. And I, I think the industry is suffering and misses, misses it a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. But Jeremiah, I want to thank you to uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with us today. And uh, for, for our, our, our listeners that aren't very familiar with DRN data, can you maybe tell us just a quick uh, little bit about DRN data, what you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'll give you the elevator speech. And uh, in just a few, you know, we, so we started in 2009 and we are a data and analytics technology company that derives our data from vehicle location intelligence. Uh, and what that is, is, is similar to the toll road cameras that you see that snap a picture of your license plate. Uh, we currently have a, over 5,000 sets of those cameras that we've sold into the repossession market to repossessors. They typically put them on a spotter car, a fuel efficient vehicle, and they drive around and it collects license plate reads, right? And so there's over 5,000 sets of those in over 390 markets nationwide, collecting about 215 million plate scans a month. And what that does is it creates a wealth of data when you're looking for an asset, whether it be a car, you're looking for a person uh, to make right party contact in the collections process. Uh, but we sell that data to a variety of different lenders, um, agencies, uh, legal entities, but I think the best part of that data is that it's used in law enforcement for public safety. It's used uh, for missing and exploited children, sex trafficking, human trafficking. Um, and that data goes over to our sister company, Vigilant Solutions, um, which we were both acquired in January by Motorola Solutions. So we're both now Motorola Solutions companies and, uh, you know, building this data set and pushing it up the upstream to to Motorola to be used in their law enforcement platforms and 
and, and for the greater good of public safety, I think is a great thing. So that's what we do. That's what we do every day. Well, congratulations on all the success there you guys have been having. I noticed over the last uh, 10 or 11 years, you guys have been growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be our guest today. And yep. uh, hope you guys have a great 4th of July holiday. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to, to uh, get together and ask some questions. Hope you and your family stay safe and have a great holiday as well. Well, I sure do appreciate it, Jeremiah, and uh, I'll be in touch with you here soon. All right. Thank you.